the other three people, all of us were like weird introvert nerds. Um, my character was someone whose mom basically, I mean, not too far from the truth here, but um, whose mom sends him like all these like science articles and all these like medical articles and just like cautionary links. Uh, but mm-hmm. It turns out she's been like basically setting up web domains and doing uh, just like off brand um newsletters and then like drafting all the copy herself and then sending it to me to basically govern my life still that was like kind of how my character was set up uh, wow wow yeah okay so all right, all right hold on let me unpack this for a moment because i was yeah. i was confused for a second but the the Shyamalan twist is that yeah. all of these scientific articles sent to you by your mother mm-hmm are not yeah. legitimate articles, but things that she has penned herself and posted yes. onto various domains as if they yes. were for you. Um, a, a long time ago, I worked uh, at a place where we hired a uh, a PR company to do like a, mm. a press release uh-huh. or something for us. And that was exactly what they did. Like their whole thing was like, you pay us X amount of money and we guarantee we will get you onto at least 400 major news outlet websites. And they like, you know, within 24 hours, they send you a thing. We're like, we're so proud to see that your thing is performing so well. Here's all the stuff. And it was like all fake newspapers Mm -hmm. that you really had to you had to examine them and they were all like, it would be not the wall street journal, but like the wall street times. And then you'd get yep. another one and it'd be like, we got you right into the New York journal, you know, and all yeah, these other yeah, faux yeah. news websites. And like, it was, it was just such a, such a sham. Uh, yeah. I love it. Uh, I also, uh, Corey, I love like the level of immersion. I mean, obviously this is a big part of improv, but like as you're describing it, you're not talking about like, oh, and so we were on stage and one person was, you know, playing this and one person was playing this. You're just like, so this is a scenario. My buddy is driving and, you know, Mm -hmm. as he's driving us, you know, we're sitting there and we're talking about this stuff and it it does sound as though you lived through it, which I guess in a sense you probably yeah. did, or that's got to be a, a crucial emotional component of making that work and making yes. that come off as smoothly yeah. as it does. Uh, I love it. It's also great because it allows, like, it's like, John, we've been unwittingly training ourselves our entire lives uh, through various, like, inputs of like media and just like the things that we've nerded Mm -hmm. out over where you're like, Oh yeah. Like, uh, I remember, uh, quite some time ago you were like, I would love to be able to like, the dream is to like build worlds and like live in them. And like now quite literally you are doing that. Uh, and that was like, also my want was like, Oh yeah. Like to create worlds to then like live in and play in and like, yeah, this is, that as well uh and then also the extra like magic dust is how much conan we ended up watching uh because he's so good 
at just spiraling out and creating worlds. It's that notion of, and this is why, you know, I've always thought you were the funniest person that I know, and also why we are uh, total weirdos or can make ourselves like (laughs) almost immediately unwelcome in certain social situations, which is that habit of like always knowing what the next joke is and then just skipping over it and jumping, you know two or yeah. three jokes ahead in the layering of whatever mythology <laughs> we're yeah, creating yeah. on the, yes. on the fly. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. uh, yeah, th- I mean, you know, shout out to all of, all of you who have continued listening to this podcast in spite yeah. yes. of, the you know uh, is there is there like a technical term for that process that sort of like joke hopping ahead that joke skipping that you know uh joke worm holing yeah it's well there's um there's this there are a couple of different terms for it in the comedy community one is like uh never going for like the first idea of being like oh mm. no no let's free associate to like the next thing. Um, so it's a, a, a phrase we call A to seeing instead of like A to B to C. We like go yep. A to C so that people can kind of do the math of like how we got there. Yeah. Um, uh, but then, yeah, I just, I love that that is kind of how it works. Um, I guess that's like the main term. That's the main I love that though. That's great. I mean, to me, like I'm going to, I'm going to use that at some point in a conversation Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with comedy, but just that notion (laughs) of like the, like, uh, sorry, hold on. Let me pace myself because I'm like a to seeing right now. And Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's, let's try and, 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 you know, take a few more baby steps in between. Um, Uh, all right. The other, the other thing, the last thing that doesn't really apply to this exact thing, but it kind of applies to how we, a function in the world is uh we're bit to- uh bit tornadoes uh is what it is yeah. is like where people just get into this cycle of like oh we're going to like have little like fun bits and like create little scenarios uh and then we just get so wrapped up in them that like we lose the thread of the regular conversation uh yeah. <laughs> or our placement in the real world yeah, there's yep. a so. there's a story that uh, one of the uh, one of the Simpsons writers tells about Conan O'Brien in the writers' room on the Simpsons and how like he would say something, it would sort of go over everyone's head, and then he would mm-hmm. spend like forty five seconds miming out the process of building a spaceship that he would then lay a ladder up against climb into and shoot himself out into outer space so that he could leave the embarrassing situation that he had created, you know, and just like that, like sort of degree (laughs) of, yeah, bit tornadoing, uh, and yeah, also just alienating yourself from as much as possible. Yep. Yep. So Uh, on that, on that topic, Yes. The Italian Grand Prix. Yes, let's alienate ourselves uh, (laughs) as much as possible from the real world and talk about some Formula One racing. Because as you mentioned, this is our podcast. Oh. And that podcast is... 
the F1 files. Oh, the F1 uh, files. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome to those F1 files, folks. Uh, this is our F1 podcast and our just catch up, casual catch up podcast. Um, not mustard podcast, catch up podcast. Gotcha, I'm doing it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So this is our Formula One podcast where we just uh, catch up with each other and then also discuss F1 because we've been fans forever. Um, one of those hosts, my name is Corey Willis. I'm a writer, actor, improviser stationed in Los Angeles, California. And this is John Lapore, creative consultant designing the future for film technology and automotive. Also out on the West Coast today, but still Ooh. not recording in person with yeah, still, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's because I'm in San Francisco uh, and uh, settling settling in for some fun stuff over here. All right. So wild, wild whole weekend yes. in Monza. Yes. Where do we where do we start? Do we just jump straight into quality? I guess there's a little even practice action that we should touch on. There, yeah, there was some some practice action, but before we get to that, I just want to say uh, that this was like a perfect birthday week. Well, not a perfect birthday weekend, but like a semi perfect birthday weekend for Carlos Sainz Jr. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you see the footage of uh, him and Fred Vasor? kind of getting into it. Yes, I saw them getting getting super cute playing mm-hmm. around with birthday cake with each other. Uh yeah. I thought that was adorable. And also just nice to see Vasor who, you know, he doesn't always exude joy in his presence. No. He ha- he tends to be like I don't know, like a stern-looking little chud mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> you know, is is running this whole Ferrari team. And uh, it was pretty, pretty fun to see him just kind of like loosening up and getting extra playful. I particularly liked that. Like even after pushing around Carlos and like trying to smush his face into the birthday cake, he then Mm -hmm. moved out of the way. They had photographers and a video crew. And then he grabbed the sound guys boom mic and started like hitting Carlos in the face with it, which uh, yeah. I highly this respect a move like that. Ah, oh, so great. Also, that there's like uh, an some footage that didn't make it to our eyes, but like it looks as though Fred Vasor, while he's like standing out, like trying to manipulate that boom mic, it looks like several of his shirt buttons have been unbuttoned. Uh, so it looks like like him and Carlos like got like deeper into that cake fight thing that happened. Um, wow. And it just wasn't shown on camera. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that was just my eyes playing tricks on me, but it looked as once, though like Fred Vasor's like Fred Vasor's <laughs> belly came out. The, uh, the PR yeah. people were like, uh, we'll delete uh, that, that uh, destroy yeah. that footage immediately. Yeah. We can't Have like Carlos the record. Yeah, Carlos did like the like put like frosting on his nipples uh, and like drew like a smiley face um, uh, on his belly. And they were like, "We can't, come on, folks. Uh, this is Ferrari. We need to compose ourselves." Um, but yeah, so what 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 happened in practice that uh, that caught your eye, Johnny? Uh so uh, Checo biffed it hard in practice. Yep, yep. He- Trashed his car. Um, 
I really, and it's, and it's kind of crazy because this, in spite of his wonderful performance on race day, I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like Checo is getting deeper and deeper into the, the pain pit with Red Bull. I yeah. think there really is some conversation to be had about the Delta between Checo and Max mm-hmm. and how much of that is Max's superiority over any teammate and how much of that is Checo being perhaps not up to what should be the baseline for a Red Bull driver. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this guy is yeah. probably racked up more wrecked car cost than maybe any other driver on the grid has for their team. Yeah. This point in the season, right? Like, yeah, like, and his wrecked car costs are coming out of the, not the driver's championship, but the constructor's championship. So like that's money that the constructor gets that basically gets parlayed into their budget. Uh, into like several budgets for the following year. Uh, it helps cars develop. It's one of the reasons why uh, it's so difficult for like Williams and it has been so difficult for Williams to get up there is because they haven't been winning money uh, in like the constructors championship. So their budgets have yeah. kind of been in like a question um, that this happened with force India before they became Aston Martin, it was like budgetary concerns were happening and they weren't winning enough races to really make up that deficit. And now Checo is costing tens of millions of dollars, probably per wait, uh, race weekend. Prob- I mean, I have to assume that that's maybe not tens of millions, but probably millions of dollars per race I, weekend. I imagine that he's getting into some of these incidents are getting into that seven figure range. Yeah. And that's that's got to be brutal. Um, so yeah, I mean, just not, not, not continuing to not look very good for Checo and does just continually make me super eager to see someone else in that Red Bull Mm -hmm. car. I mean, again, I also don't want to see anyone that I care about too much because I think that's the most painful seat in professional motorsports, but yes, I just, I just want to know. I just want to have a clear sense of like, and I, I do believe that Max is, his performance is valid. I do think he's yeah. a, a a supreme talent. I just want to know like how much beyond, you know, the baseline is Max. And I'm starting to suspect that Checo's just not a, a baseline that we can evaluate him against. Yeah, he's not cutting it. And this is it's this is the thing is we have these conversations and like the entire race community has uh continues to have this conversation um because there's just this issue of like Checo is not it's not that he's a bad race car driver. He's actually uh an an impressive race car driver. It's just that when these teams develop their cars. They go through a very specific development path, which is like they start out with an equal car at the start of the season on equal footing from the previous season's development process. And then 
as the races continue, as these weekends proceed, the race engineers are getting feedback from the drivers and whichever driver is performing best is the direction of the development that the car goes in. And it's kind of up to that other driver who isn't performing as well to like adjust their driving style in order to perform better. And that's just the reality of this situation. It's not that that's why people I mean, are I like, could even imagine, I could even imagine it going in a direction where it's like, you know, Max is getting his car tailored towards him and then he's excelling. And then Checo's going like, Hey, I want what he has. He's doing so good. That car yeah. must be sweet. Give me what he has. And then he, and then he gets it under his feet and they're like, Oh yeah, by the way, the gas pedal's the brake pedal and the brake pedal's the gas pedal. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's exactly. Different. Yeah. 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 Everything is just, it's like when, when you get someone else's, uh, like laptop or like their mouse <laughs> yes, and yeah. they do like the inverted scroll and you're like, wait, what, how, wait, when I, when I pull my finger down, the screen is supposed to go down. Yeah. Not up, yeah. like what? Do I why flip is this the happening? monitor upside down? How do I do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like that's where Checo's at, where he's just like, yeah, I don't know. Left is right, right is up, and down is backwards. Like I don't know how this car so, works and, anymore. And this is a good point because Checo, I mean, Checo's done great with other hardware, with other equipment, but uh, yeah. it does seem as though like there's potentially a degree to which you know. Checo's been using like typewriters and standard mm -hmm. computer keyboards. And Max has that crazy like ergonomic keyboard where the keys are like separated apart on different yeah. sides and like, you know, and, and has yeah. a has a trackball, you know, built into his mouse and and whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it's just yeah, it's throwing him throwing him way off. So yeah, all right. Yeah. So so race weekend begins with Sergio uh, you know clowning himself a little bit and then mm -hmm. the race weekend ends with him getting second place fighting yeah. his way up through the field uh but i will also state that like it didn't you know none of that felt like that was like the skilled race craft that we actually saw on display throughout this race yeah um yeah let's let's jump ahead to qualifying mm-hmm mm-hmm Qualifying was probably the single greatest moment for Scuderia Ferrari in like the last decade, basically. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. We I see would. Carlito, bless his heart, out qualify Verstappen for pole position. Yeah. The Tafosi are going absolutely insane. Carlito does like a full lap after getting pole position, holding his, you know, number one finger up out of the car yep. for the entire lap, basking in the cheers and the, the, the sobbing joy coming from the Italian Tifosi. Uh, yeah, it was that beautiful. was, it, it, it really was a special moment. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to me, really beautiful and really exciting, but also I think still kind of bittersweet all around for everybody because yes. we're excited and thrilled by that. But we also know what is what is to come ahead. The impending in, on, on race day, yeah, yeah, the inevitable. Yeah. But which is exactly which is Max 
you know, carving his way around during, during the race. But that is still, it seemed to almost like not even discount what an amazing feat that was. Yeah. And it wasn't because he got pole. It wasn't because a driver achieved pole position. It was because a driver outdrove Max Verstappen for what seemed mm-hmm. like the first time all season. Yeah. Yeah. True. Like truly outperformed him in every way. Uh, also the, there there's like a couple of like really interesting uh, statistics around Monza around this track. And uh, one of them is the average lap speed for those, for those cars is 160 miles an hour. So that is the yeah. average speed that they are doing around that track, uh, which is bananas to be driving at like a minute 30, averaging 160 miles an hour. Uh, it's yeah. just wild. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so that that's like really impressive. And that makes it even more impressive that the Ferrari was as strong as it was. I mean, to be fair, they did quite literally get all new engine components in both of those Ferraris. So those engines were like tuned to be perfect this weekend and set up for this track basically. So there there's, there are some, some not asterisks, but like maybe someone put an asterisk uh, and then like erased it. And it's like, wait, is there an asterisk? Was there an asterisk there? Oh, well, I guess, I guess it's legit. Yeah, I mean, I'd also throw just like, you know, that that crazy Tafosi energy into the mm-hmm. equation as well. I think that yeah. I, I think you can't discount that that was helping uh, both, you know, both Carlito and Charles who, yeah. you know, and they, they were talking about it themselves saying like, you know, this whole weekend, everywhere you go, you know, from the airport to the hotels to whatever the fans are just going absolutely berserk for them. And yeah, it was awesome to see that happen on uh, on qualifying day and, and even fun getting a chance to see like, you know, during the post qualifying interviews, Mm -hmm. as soon as the mic is passed to, to Max Verstappen, the Tafosi start booing. And then Charles is, you know, waving to them to be like, Oh, you know, come on guys. Cut come that on, out. Be, be good like sports. More, but more. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, it's okay. Try and poison his food tonight. You know, go for it. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, God. It was, it's such a, a wonderful uh, uh, experience to watch that, like, crowd just lose it. And this is kind of mm-hmm. something for that, like, really lays bare how biased I am uh, seeing red flares go off on like the formation yeah. lap yeah. of the Italian yeah. Grand Prix. I was like swell. Like I could feel myself swelling with pride, uh, even though like, yeah. I'm not Italian. I'm not a Ferrari fan necessarily. Um, and then just gauging that against my like absolute hatred for any time someone pops off an orange flare, even when it's like after the Grand Prix is over. Uh, yep. So yeah, yeah, I got, I got, I got a bit swept up in it too. Um, ugh, what a, so what a crazy, so it's a race day. What, mm-hmm. what stood out for you? What was the highlight 
of the race for you? Um, highlight of the race. Let's see. Let I I I had to take I had to take notes. There were a ton of things that happened in here. So uh, there was one specific thing at the very end, not the very end, but towards the end, uh, where um, <laughs> Hamilton and Piastri came together, and oh, it was yeah. just so funny to hear. Lewis like key in the mic and he's just like weirdly like groaning into the mic uh like over the radio just like oh ah, ah, and I was like what is he doing <laughs> it's so bizarre uh I don't know what it was but it was just very funny to me um uh and then him like starting to kind of do the like oh oh, I'm going to get penalized for this. I have to start kind of like lobbying for myself over the radio. So he's like, he was in my blind spot. Whose fault was that? And I love, I love Bono's response to him was like, "Uh, so um, we have a five second penalty uh, going ahead. Also, the wind is picking up. How's the weather? Uh, is the weather out there on track? Like looking like a little bit gnarly. And it yep. was like, Bono, why are you talking about the weather right now? He, you're like, just trying. You're being like so British uh, by trying to distract someone with like weather talk when they really need to know like critical information. Uh, so that that was at the end of the Grand Prix, but that stuck out so much to me. It was so funny. Um, yeah, I was what, I was what? also surprised to see, uh, and I was watching the Sky Sports feed, and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. commentators, like nobody threw Hamilton under the bus for what to me was a pretty obviously like his very clearly his fault, very yeah. clearly just like a big mistake that he made that had yes. huge consequences for Piastri and, and Hamilton. Even uh, I saw footage from uh piastri's point of view immediately after the race hamilton runs straight over to his car to apologize to him yeah and whatnot um but i was i was surprised that none of the commentators like they seem to be like waffling a little bit over like oh we'll have to see what the stewart's think when they weigh in on that when like normally if there was any other driver they would just be like oh you can't do that mate you know yeah uh yeah and and would just call it uh call it as they see it um so that was yeah i mean that was martin brundle martin brundle like did like in like a very like effortless like (laughs) he was like oh it looks like he may have squeezed him there a bit like that was the only admission by the commentary team to be like no that was he like did not leave him any space and just ran him off the road like it's yeah, the onboard of Oscar Piastri uh, from that experience is very funny. Just to be like, oh, Hamilton just ran him off the road. Like, that's yeah. just what he yeah. did. Piastri so. is like just holding a very steady position and Hamilton just basically moves moves right in on him. Uh, yeah. It's still, yeah. Yeah. I, I was astounded that Hamilton got away from that without crazy car damage. Yeah, um, yeah. The Mercedes looking and- shockingly sturdy, but I guess that's what you do when you have George Russell driving the other one, right? Like that's uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get that thing it's, it's ready like- to Mad Max some people off the road. I was just going to say, yeah, it's like the idea of like when like people get 
stuck in like a, a place during a zombie apocalypse and then they see mm-hmm. like a school bus and they're like oh we should probably like weld some mesh yeah like some wire mesh around the windows because like hmm, they really got some like grubby little fingers that they're going to try and get in <laughs> mercedes is like yeah we should probably just put we should reinforce everything that yeah but they're doing the reverse uh technique they're trying to keep the you know the werewolf tied down uh yeah you know yeah. let's try yeah. and uh, uh let's try let's try and keep uh keep russell in the cage yeah. um all right yeah. so was otherwise for me you know the Nice to see the Mercedes moving out there, but there wasn't anything else mm-hmm. that really took my breath away, particularly from them. I mean, there was they they, they were they were in the mix. There was some good action mm-hmm. that they were participating in. Um, yeah, but certainly there was some pretty fun stuff happening near the front. Oh and yeah, and for me, my my biggest takeaway just in general of this race was. Uh, I wouldn't say literally that it was like the most exciting race we've seen this season. I would say it was the most tense. Yes. It was, it was, yes. uh, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't the insane amount of passing that we saw in the previous race. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still kept me pretty glued to the action because there was a lot yeah. of uh, tense control particularly happening with Carlito holding back Max for the first 15 laps of the race. I mean, that was kind of an achievement in and of itself. Um, Although we, we could just, we could just tell that it was, it was coming. Um, Yeah. Shockingly, it took 15 laps though. Fifth one, five, it took 15 whole laps for, for a pass to happen. So that was, that was impressive. Uh, that last a lot and pretty early on, Max blew an attempt, and I think mm-hmm. they just took this approach of like, you know, like hold on, take a deep breath, don't forget, yeah, you're Max Verstappen, we're Red Bull, we could do this yep. anytime we want. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be right well, now. Once yeah, you relax, you just come in, check out have for a, a little lunch bit, watch first, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's it's all yeah, it's all good. Even, even his there was a, a radio communication where Max was like, uh, in in reference to Carlos signs, he's like, oh, he's sliding around quite a bit. Yeah, it's okay. Like he like says that he's like, it'll yeah. be okay. And it was like, man, I don't want to hear Max say it'll be okay. Well, because now I read that. As Max also being a little bit like defensive or being a little bit like immediately ashamed that he wasn't able to just like blast around him immediately and then telling the team like, don't worry, guys, like I will I will Verstappen him soon. Just, you know, just give me just give me a moment. It's, It's all right. Nobody has to worry that I didn't pass him on the first or second lap. You know, I didn't pass him the moment that DRS was enabled. It's still going to be all right, everybody. And I'm sure the team wasn't worried about it, but I, I sense that it was max just being like a little bit insecure of like, everybody must be, everybody must be concerned that I haven't already blown the doors off of this guy. So yeah, uh, yeah, there was, there was probably just anything like that warms my heart just a little bit. 
Yeah. Oh, speaking of warming my heart with Max over the radio, there was, I think in free practice two, uh, there was a moment between him and, uh, and his race engineer where they were like, oh, the, the lap is like blown. Um, it was like a qualifying simulation lap and they're like, oh, the lap Mm -hmm. is blown. Let's just bring the car in and like, we'll make some adjustments. And Max was like, I don't have a proper feel for it. I want to learn. I I need to like learn Mm -hmm. what's going on here. And then after like a couple of race simulations, uh, or qualifying simulations, uh, GP comes back over the radio and was like, so did you, um, learn anything? And Max was like, no. And he's like, well done. Like it was like <laughs> such a fun little like ah uh, ah uh, yeah. Um, which I can't help but think that that's a part of what Red Bull's like PR coup is uh, is like working towards, where they're like, hey, we we know we're kind of ruining the racing season because it's just like inevitable that he's going to win every race now. So maybe like yeah, let's try to make it look have, not as effortless. Yeah, like have some fun. Have some fun on the the radio between you and you and your race engineer like you know those bits you guys are always doing in the garage like well why don't you do that on the radio a little bit too. It was just really fun to watch that. Yeah. I mean, I was a ball of nerves for Carlito for that whole mm-hmm. section and just imagined, you know, he is someone who is prone to being intimidated right and uh, yes yes Yes. is sensitive i think in those scenarios and so i just imagined that he was just like full-on like you know pepto-bismol instead of the water bottle through (laughs) the first uh the the first you know act of the race and then again at the end uh and what for me was kind of the highlight of the whole race was watching Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc duke it out with Mm -hmm. each other, which I think was probably more than anything else. Like it wasn't just that they were racing each other with tremendous expertise Mm -hmm. and doing it beautifully and getting almost dirty with it. Yeah, But it also was something that for all of us watching was built up by all of our pain and agony for Scuderia, Pagliacci, and just knowing that these guys are so prone to make clowns of themselves that if Mm -hmm. there was a scenario where the team was to say, like, you guys go ahead and race each other, of course it's going to end with them like colliding into each other on the front straightaway, flipping mm-hmm. over the wall and then both crashing into the garage and like going through the garage yeah. and then into the paddock and like taking out the Ferrari transportation truck and everything. Yep. And just like it could be, it could only end in the most like miserable way that would destroy every single aspect of the team after taking out the transportation truck it would continue Mm -hmm. to actually build into like a ball of burning metal that would roll (laughs) down the hill all the way into milan and crash into a ferrari dealership that is there on main street in milan you know like and and would just be the the most apocalyptic of disasters 
Yeah. And so and that explosion at so, the Ferrari dealership somehow launches metal all the way to like the factory uh in <laughs> and just destroys yeah. the factory um like on some like uh, uh extinction level event blast radius takes out everything in and around um, takes out everything ugh. and also sends a bunch of waste into the the nearby reservoir that's by mm-hmm. that Ferrari factory that happens yeah. to be the drinking supply for the Vatican you know yes, and just yes, like yeah. it, it just is a basically a, a never ending chain reaction of horrific pain across all of Italy that was yeah. the stakes that was the expectation for every single lap of this battle between the Ferrari mm-hmm. teammates. How long did this, how many laps did this battle continue for? Cause this wasn't like, Oh, they were battling for three corners or, yeah. or a lap and a half. This was, this started, uh, I believe towards the end of, uh, of lap 46. Cause Perez ended up overtaking signs for third. And then that set up yep. the, like it also, this was for a podium, at Monza. This yes. is like for the yep. third step on the podium. So it's not the stakes could not have been much higher for Ferrari. Um I mean it, it if it if it was for the first and second step on the podium, the stakes would be not as high because it's like, oh, a Ferrari's going to end up on the podium no matter yep. how this battle goes. Uh Unless, of course, our original scenario takes place. Um, but ideally, a Ferrari would still end up in first place if There's they were fighting for only, first and second. Only one slot left. Yeah. And the the person further down the road would have been uh, Mercedes, too. So it would have been, like, not just the fact that, like, they lost to Red Bull at their home race. It would be like, oh the team that is struggling the most under these regulations uh, out of the top three teams, they're the ones who would have ended up on that podium. And then the Tifosi would have just been like very like, uh, like just haphazardly waving those flags around, like not even being able to lift them up uh, all the way. Um, Impotent is what I'm looking for. Just impotent waving of flags. Um, But yeah, this started so like, at lap I mean, 47 and, and continued for five full laps till the end of the race. Geez. It was crazy, crazy. Yeah. And it was, and it was intense the whole way through, um, mm-hmm. gr- incredible racecraft from both Carlito and Charles. Um, yeah. but yeah, it was like just pure stomach acid the whole time. Yeah. Like just watching that, you know, like watching between like a little crack in your fingers, uh, you know, mm-hmm. watching while, uh, you know, I'm imagining uh, Mattia Bonotto probably like afterwards, like let go of his hair that he was <laughs> clutching desperately and realized that like some of it was like still in his hands. He's, um, yeah, he's got like pom-poms instead of, uh, yeah, <laughs> of yeah. his own hair. Oh God. Yeah. I was so nervous. Um, also there was, uh, during like not the debrief itself, but some of the post-race interviews and analysis, there were some people who were like, yeah, Carlos was uh, moving under braking. Like Charles was like, yeah, Carlos moved under braking a little bit there at the end to hold me off. And it was like, mm, yeah, yeah, it was, 
it was like right at the limit. Um, oh, this yep. brings up a beautiful moment that happened after the race. I didn't watch all the race uh, post race interviews, but there was a moment where they brought um, they bring Lando Norris on to camera, and it's like uh, Will Buxton and uh, Luca Felipe uh, who are doing this post race analysis, and they bring in Lando Norris, and Lando's like, "Yeah, yeah, it was like a." That was tricky. That was a really tricky race. And like, you know, we're, we're fighting with the Mercedes and like, we're hoping to get up there, but like, we're just kind of stuck behind Albon the whole race. And then, uh, like you see Lando, like look to the right of the camera and just kind of like, uh, like shake his head and like this kind of like fake disappointment. Uh, and then Alex Albon walks into frame and it's like him and Albon, uh in in the frame kind of like talking about like oh yeah it was like tricky going back and forth between the two of us and you know it was our race strategy was like yeah just keep the mclarens behind you and like uh lando's race strategy was like yeah you just got to get by albon because he's probably going to be in front of you the whole race uh and as they're like chit-chatting in walks charles leclerc and like as he walks on like the camera kind of like backs up a little bit and you see the producer trying to like hand the mic off like through the frame. And as he's walking into the frame, Charles does the most beautiful child, like hello (laughs) when he walks into the interview. And it's just so funny. Uh, And like, they make mention of it too, uh, or, or several people have made mention of it, that this generation of drivers is outside of Max Verstappen, of course, um, it seems like they have such an amazing bit of camaraderie and yeah. will continue to do that even when they're racing aggressively. It was beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, the the reports that I heard were that, you know, uh, between Carlito and Charles coming in, they weren't salty mm-hmm. with each other. They were both just kind of exhilarated by this. I mean, yeah. my, I mean, my take is that Carlito was probably just like, thank God I was able to make it till the end. Yes. And they were like, it looked like you were having fun out there. And he's like, fun? What's fun? You know, but like. uh, Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it fun. Yeah, I think that was like the rebuttal was like, I don't know if I'd call it fun, but it was certainly exhilarating or like whatever it was. Um, Yeah. But but definitely nice nice to see out there. Yeah, and Charles was clearly enjoying the hell out of it too, which is like yeah, so great to watch the Ferraris fighting towards the front of the grid. Uh uh it really is really fun to watch that and as much as we like clown on them for clowning themselves, really it's it's so fun to watch them be so competitive because like everyone says, and it's the, the truest thing ever, which is like when Ferrari wins F one wins, like it really yeah. is. And, and this is a win for Ferrari. They had yeah. impeccable strategy, impeccable uh, pit stops, uh, incredible driving, great camaraderie between the two drivers, great like race etiquette while the drivers were competing with each other on track, they did it in front of the home crowd. They ended up on a podium like this. This was a perfect weekend. As far as Ferrari can hope for, this was the perfect weekend um, for them. Uh, Obviously, if they could have beaten out Checo, that'd have been better. But uh, 
you know, uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take one Ferrari on the Monza podium before I take no Ferraris. That's that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't yeah. help but imagine what it would be like if they could have pulled off the impossible and had uh, a Ferrari at the top of the podium and just, you know, and I love, I love the Monza podium. I love the, like, you know, you look out on the straightaway and the straightaway immediately has yeah. like, I don't know, like, like somewhere. I, I don't, I can't even fathom what the number is. It has to be like 50,000 plus Ferrari mm. fans standing on the, the, the front straightaway underneath yeah. the podium, all going absolutely berserk and to see, yeah. you know, what could be there. You know, I, I hope we get to see it at some point in the, in the upcoming seasons where we get a red mm. car at the, at the top of the podium at Monza. I mean, Cause it is, it is a special thing. Yeah. I mean, Charles Leclerc won there. That was like, that was the biggest that was like one of the most like beautiful moments. Um, like I often will get choked up around like the, the, when they do the podium celebrations, uh, when Max is not standing up there, um, I will get choked up usually even when Max is up there. Sometimes there are like these beautiful little moments, but like seeing oh, when Charles, you see the whole team singing along to the Italian national anthem and yeah and uh, it's a it's special it is a special thing in the sport and now it's a very an incredibly rare and yep. precious moment when it does happen so uh there's there's a lot of extra power that that comes with it oh, these days speaking of rare and precious moments that were missed this year because of his injury because of Danny Rick's hand injury, we didn't get to see him vibing out so hard to the Italian national anthem. Like that is something yeah. that I I love so much. And I realized like as soon as they like panned across all the drivers, I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. Danny Rick isn't like like swaying and dancing and like bouncing to this live version of the Italian uh, national anthem, which he does and has been doing for the past like 10 years. Like I've, I've watched yeah. him do that and I, I missed it so much, um, which just you know. so missed. Yeah. I mean, miss seeing Danny Rick uh, really missed seeing Yuki in the mix, technically a yeah. home race for him. Yeah. Uh, yep. with with Alfatari based in Italy. Uh, mm-hmm. Super sad that he his car just had an extreme failure uh, during the formation lap. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. and uh, Ocon had a DNF. I don't even know what happened to him. It was like the most unceremonious, like, oh, yeah, he's just yeah. not in the race anymore. And otherwise... Uh, pretty spectacular that nobody else had any issues. We didn't have a single safety car. No, nope. we we had clean and aggressive racing throughout mm-hmm. with no incidents, and also in, the, in this insane super high speed track where some of the most exciting action was happening on these unbelievably high speed corners. Like just yeah. Pretty pretty wild stuff. Uh, uh, Monza also, is. The, there was there the the fact that 
only one car, Kevin Magnuson was the only car that ended up getting lapped by anyone in the field. And I think he only got lapped by like maybe the first like five people, um, which is like, that's impressive. Again, on a shorter track, on a high speed track with 18 of the 20 cars finishing the race, only one of them getting lapped is like, wow, this was a, 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 a very clean race for everyone versus yep. the dirty race that happened uh, at Zanvoort. And I don't mean like dirty as in like, it wasn't like um, an enjoyable race to watch. Just like truly it was, it's just complicated. Was <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it wasn't complicated at all. This race, it was like, <laughs> I texted you after afterwards, just being like, "Yeah, my heart rate is returning to its uh, mm-hmm. to like its like standard um, level right now." Just because I couldn't for those past the the last five laps, like I was repeatedly like gripping the edge of my couch and standing up and yelling, "Jesus f- Christ!" <laughs> at uh, the Ferrari mm-hmm. drivers for coming so close to each other repeatedly. Oh, um, oh, we can't not talk about George's perfect radio communication. Oh, yes. Did you? Oh, God, this is so beautiful. This was. Do you do you so, have it written down? What was the what was the exact? Uh... Uh, so his his uh, race engineer comes on and is like, hey, we need some more management in turn six. Um, And like, basically what he means is like, hey, you're being a little bit sloppy with your entry and exit of turn six. And the reason George was being sloppy with his also also like it's and it's meant it's the the request is coming specifically to help preserve his tires, right? Like to exactly uh, keep that under control preserve his tires and like decrease his lap time so that he can get away from whoever is pursuing him or catch up the field in front of him. Uh, and George's <laughs> response was, uh, I've got a car up my, I believe so it. Great. I believe it was, I don't know if you can see this right now. That's what it was. I've yeah. Got a car. yeah. I've got a car right up my, <sighs> um, it was that was, so- uh, that was that was so pretty funny. wonderful, so funny, and such a like. Uh, I mean, it was exactly what was happening. Um, when you look at, I don't know George's race engineer's name, but when you like look at, like clearly he must have known that like check like he was defending so aggressively against a car that was definitely going to pass him. Like there was no mm-hmm. way Perez wasn't going to pass George at some point. Um, but there were some like amazing moves, uh, defensive moves that George was pulling off. Um, Checo again, seemed to struggle with passing people. Uh, and yeah, the Ferraris were faster in a straight line and a lot of that track is straight line, but like he was, I don't know it. I'm, I'm genuinely worried for Checo at this point. Uh, and I'm also kind of not happy that Danny Rick injured himself, but I'm feeling better about the fact that Danny Rick injured his hand because I can't imagine Red Bull would then put him in that second seat after only like five races uh, yeah. uh, to recover. Yep. Um, 
that said, I don't want to see Yuki go there. I wouldn't mind seeing Liam Lawson go to that. Seat. What's your what is your take on Liam Lawson so far? Uh he's been incredibly impressive. Uh just on some like what his his like record uh as like as Oscar Piastri's record was is like, oh, he comes in, struggles a little bit the first year in a race series and then wins his second season. Liam Lawson has won his debut in every category. He's someone I would like to see in that seat with Max Verstappen. One, because I don't know him that well, and I don't have like any emotional attachment right, to him right, really, right. other than yeah. being like, oh yeah, he's like a, he's a Kiwi driver. It's like the first person from New Zealand to drive in a very long time. Um, uh, to drive a, an F1 car in, in quite some time. I can't even remember who the last person was who was a New Zealander. Uh, I, I, they, they mentioned it a whole bunch at Zanvoort, but I've lost that information. But it, it's... I mean, I, I, I like it because I feel like this, you know, a f- the freshest face possible would make it the most threatening to yeah. Max, right? Yeah. Potentially so if he too. if he even just shows the tiniest bit of promise, I think that could really throw Max like just way off and I yeah. that that's music to my ears. Um I yeah. and I, and I'm going to stay I'm going to hold on to the fact that just like yeah, I think the fact that his first initiation into Formula 1 was the most chaotic race that we've seen in recent times. Uh, means yeah. that like he was he is now just like born into the darkness and yeah. you know everything else will seem just a little more effortless to him yeah. in comparison and that that could lead to some some amazing things so yeah curious to see yeah. what happens there i think eh, I, I think that's a there's a very good possibility that that's the move mm-hmm. for red bull right i think so um, i think so i'd be perfectly happy with seeing that can always just you know slap him back down to lieutenant you know uh yeah um, yeah they've (laughs) they've shown that that's what they'll do yeah yeah they have no problem uh you know opening a trap door under that seat that doesn't go straight down into a pit of fire but just goes into the alfatari seat you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah there's i and I, i do I think that he's been very impressive. Uh, I would have loved to have seen Yuki in this race one because Yuki's a talent mm-hmm. uh, and this was his home Grand Prix, but also I would have loved to see what he could have done against Liam Lawson on this track where yep. they both have a ton of time on this track. They have a lot of experience. Um, Yuki has three more years of experience in an F1 car versus Liam's like first full Grand Prix. So I would have, I mean, and he qualified right behind Yuki. So it's not that he was really struggling. Uh, And then he almost, I think he finished 11th or 12th. Like he almost got points in his first proper full Grand Prix weekend. And again, these are like, if you look back at the people who scored on their debut or who have done really well in their first seasons, you have people like Fernando Alonso. You've got people like Max Verstappen. You've got people like Sebastian Vettel. You've got Lewis Hamilton. Um, Lewis Hamilton, you, yeah. 
you've got um, uh, uh, like people like Ayrton Senna who like showed up uh, and really crushed it. You've got people like Michael Schumacher who showed up and crushed it in their debut season. So if Liam Lawson is one of these kind of talents that has come up through the Red Bull program, right? He's a, he's a Red Bull junior driver. That's why he got swapped around to the, the series, the Japan uh, series of supercars after he won F2. Cause they were like, we need him to keep going. We need him to keep going, but we don't have a seat for him. Let's put him in super formula in Japan and see what he does there. And then he won that. And it was like, okay, he may be someone who we see competing with Oscar Piastri in like 10 years uh, for multiple yep. world championships. But I think we need to get him, put him in that car against Max Verstappen. I just want to see Liam Lawson, who knows that program, who has the backing of Helmut Marco, who is kind of yeah. the future of Red Bull itself. Let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can do. Um, I don't know if we'll see it, but Red Bull is nasty with the way that they promote their drivers. And I do mean that in kind of an offensive way. Like they are, they will promote yeah. Liam Lawson before they promote Yuki Sonoda, even though Yuki Sonoda yep. is another Red Bull junior driver. Like he came up through the program, but I think they just would love to have someone come in there and like really put the spurs to max verstappen i mean and he's a respectful racer he's respectful versus vac like max verstappen when max showed up his nickname right. yeah, was yeah, yeah. crash stappen because he kept running into yeah, people yeah. liam lawson had like a spin in the wet at zanvoort and otherwise has been so clean and so respectful with every single person including Max Verstappen, who he overtook at Zandvoort yeah. on one of those closing laps. Like he unlapped himself by overtaking the world champion. So yep. uh, I, it's a poison chalice, but I'd like to see Liam. I think Liam has built up an immunity to that poison and might be able to actually yep. drink from it and succeed. I don't know. I don't Fully know. Agreed. Um, Anything else from this? I mean, there was so much else from this Grand Prix, but anything else like stick out to you, Johnny? There was a lot else, but I mean, for me, it was really just, you know, coming away from it with like that, that same exact sensation that you described of being like, okay, I need to, I need to stretch after that. I need to yeah. relax a little bit. I need to kind of come yep. down. That was, uh, it was, it was intense. Um, what do you th what do you think about the potential for Las Vegas, which has these insanely long straightaways to mm. bring out a similar kind of just performance that we're seeing this sort of like low downforce trumping all performance yeah. that we saw at Monza, which seemed to like upset the pecking order probably more than any other race has. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a chance because if you look at Vegas, it looks like a pretty uneventful track, right? Like it's, it doesn't yeah. look like it's that impressive. And the same goes, if you just like look at Monza, you're like, Oh, well it, 
is it going to make for great racing? And then you see I mean, cars the, race the, on it, and it's like, oh yeah, this is the great. The biggest racing. difference is yeah. that Monza has these giant radius turns that yes. link those straightaways that you can sustain crazy high speed on, whereas Vegas is going to be like, get to 220 miles per hour and then mm-hmm. break all the way down to, you know, 45 miles per hour for a yeah. streetcar intersection, you know, corner or whatnot. Yeah. But I would still yeah, like to think that just because some of those straights are so long and there's going to be some sustained high speeds there that maybe there's, there's some opportunities in that sort of like low down force situation that, that, benefits Ferrari that benefits Williams so intensely mm-hmm. and most importantly sort of demerits Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, there's a good chance. Um, not a great chance, but I think a decent chance because like you said, they've got those long straights and then they have like borderline, like Singapore style, uh, like right angles and hard yeah. turns and low speed corners. Um, I think that there's a potential, especially as the rest of the teams catch up to Vegas, uh, to uh, to Red Bull, that by the time they get to Vegas, people will have figured out those top speed issues. Um, oh, there was something, another thing that was talked about by Luca Felipe. Uh, I think this was on like the the F1 TV, one of like their like interviews or whatever or interstitials that he was talking about the fact that the way that the tires degrade at Monza is so specific and so different from every other track um, mm. because of the high speeds the interior of the tire itself so like the carcass of the tire the thing that's never supposed to really like it you know ranges in temperatures but like the temperature extremes don't really result in like failures of those tires for the most part at Monza. They have to like warm their tires up differently because the interior of the tire, because of the centrifugal force that's generated because of these long straights, it starts to make the tires blister from within the tire, which is just interesting. I couldn't, I I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Like how does, how does the tire blister from within before it blisters from like making contact? So just so, really. So does that mean that they need more like even heating throughout the tire and therefore the tire blankets are set to like low and slow barbecue action? Something? Uh, they're sous vide yeah. the, the tires uh, in a, exactly. in a yeah. water yeah. bath before uh, yeah. putting them, putting them out on the car. Yeah, yeah, some light blanching it. of the uh, of the carcass um, yep, uh, before yep, it's yep. before it's dropped in and pan seared. Yeah, it's do a I, reverse I sear, a reverse sear yeah. on the tires <laughs> to uh, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, so just like an, an interesting fact about the way that Monza is set up, um, it is one of those things where people bring. I would I would like to think specific- that, however, this works. It's to Ferrari's advantage because Ferrari, yeah. if nothing else, they don't know what the hell they're doing in the garage, but they know their way around a kitchen better than exactly. any other team on the grid. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so there's that. Oh, there was also a, a wild statistic that came out um, because one of the things that happens at Monza is you see literally like 
people scramble up trees and try and get better views of the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were saying that because of the storms that hit Northern Italy that like prevented us from having the, the other Grand Prix at Imola, the storms took down over 10,000 trees around wow. that racetrack. And like, you could see at the start, uh, and they, they got a little bit tighter with the camera angles, but like free practice one, they kept showing Lesmo that initial turn there that like the big, uh, one of the big Lesmo one, I think it is. Um, and like, you can see that there's just, there's like barren land behind the track where before it was like an ocean of green. I mean, that was, if you look at Monza, there's like, tons of like gorgeous footage of like the way the sun streaks through the trees towards the end of the Grand Prix. And like, we didn't get any of that this year. Like the sunlight looked different at the end of the race because when the sun is low in the sky, it creates shadows and like weird stuff at Monza and adds to the affect. And like that was not happening because they've lost so many trees. So just Mm -hmm. another one of those weird like commentators were like, Hey, why does this look different? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why, and they've replanted a bunch of trees, but it's going to take decades for them to grow and like that track to look the same. So just a couple of like interesting, like, you know, uh, contextual things around Monza as well. Um, just a fascinating track. I want to go to that track so bad. Um, Laura Winter, one of the commentators, like this was her first Monza Grand Prix and like as like a commentator and she was like, this is the greatest thing. <laughs> like you could just see that she was yeah. delighted uh, like a kid. But yep. yeah, it's um, on it's on my list for sure. I want to be, you know, sitting there stuffing myself mm-hmm. silly with fresh mozzarella and uh, yeah. watching Tifosi, uh, you know, leer mm-hmm. at the red cars and and also yeah. any woman walking around the track and whatnot and just be be part of that general atmosphere yeah yeah, yeah. oh i would i would love it um oh there was a great moment when they were doing one of these like weekend warm-up sessions where you have them like walking through the paddock and you see yuki sonoda walking through and like a little like Italian kid runs up to him and it's like, Oh wow. Through like forced perspective, it looks like that kid's really tall. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> He's actually as tall as Yuki Sonoda. <laughs> and yep. it's, it was just great to see that. Um, those, those little moments of Yuki Sonoda being in and amongst the short Italians, uh, was just yep. great. Yep. Great. Um, he'd do great on long Island. Yep. He really would. He would be, He'd be amazing. He also has a hot temper too, so he would be even better yeah. for Long Island. Uh, <laughs> Long, Island Long Island, Long Island bagel shop, Yuki Sonoda. I can't wait to yes. uh, can't wait to see it. Oh God, uh, bagel boss. Speaking of bosses, there was some little, some more track uh, off track news with Hugo Boss potentially taking over the Alpha Tauri brand. So it will oh, still right. be Alpha. Well, oh. Yeah, yeah. What, what, was, I know. what was the name? What's the name that they had? Uh, I I don't know. Wait, is there? Did they come up with a new name for it? 
I thought there was, I might be confusing this was with one of the other crazy branding deals. Um, let's see here. Oh, uh, like MoneyGram, Chipotle Haas, and um, oh, what's the, uh, is, the, is there another one? I mean, Alpine is basically like Renault, just their luxury brand. Um, but yeah, Hugo Boss. The idea of like a boss F1 car is so funny to me. That's pretty, (sighs) that's pretty rad. Yeah. Um, when are we, are we, we're not, we're not in Singapore next week. It's the week after, right? Uh, no, we, oh yeah, we do have a week off, right? Is this, is this, we uh, have a, we have a week off, I believe. So next week we should circle back to something else that popped up before this Mm -hmm. weekend, which was contracts for Mercedes. Yeah. Both, uh, both Lewis and George getting some contract uh, extensions put in place. And we should just talk about the grander implications around Mm -hmm. that. Um, and then otherwise, um, I'm stoked for Singapore. Singapore to me is always fun. I don't know why the like novelty of it, it being the first ever night race, like just never yeah. wore off on no, me. No, and absolutely not. I'm, I'm continually excited for, uh, for that, but it also means that we're like heading into the kind of like, you know, third act of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And before we know it, we will be headed into uh, the the Vegas Circus Spectacular, the Circus yeah, Circus at at Vegas. Uh, before we God. know it, so it'll be it'll be interesting watching Formula One whip itself into a frenzy between now and mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, it can't help it. It cannot help it. Um, so, what do you think, Johnny? Do you think uh, do you think that the stock went up? Where, where, where are we I definitely at? think the stock went up. I think there was excitement. Uh, mm-hmm. There was tension. There was Max being bested by one of his opponents, if only yep. temporarily. Um, yep. What's good for Ferrari is good for Formula One. And then just uh, literally just the excitement of seeing the two Ferraris duke it out with each other and not yeah. Pagliacci it. Like that yeah. was... Oh, that was spectacular in its own right. Yeah. So to me, incredible value adds for the Formula One stock this week. What do you yeah. What do you think? I think the stock went up as well. I think again, just like you were saying, Ferrari winning, Ferrari doing well, Ferrari not clowning themselves is always good for mm-hmm. F one. Um, especially, well, maybe not always good. It's good because it like. Uh, back to improv, um, it rests the game. Uh, the game of Ferrari yes. is to constantly clown themselves and it can be fatiguing watching them clown themselves. So every once in a yeah. while, we do need just like a moment of Ferrari to do what it normally is supposed to do before it gets back to the absurd behavior and lets us like gleefully laugh and clap at their failures. So good job on yep. Ferrari. Um, uh, good on them. Uh, and then, you know, also the whole like Red Bull winning, blah, 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 Max winning, blah, blah, blah. Um, we don't need to talk about that. Um, uh, but yeah, records yeah, not broken. Even, not course. even any fanfare really around like nope. 
Max getting a record, you know, 10 wins in a row and whatnot. Like everyone's just like, meh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's also, it's like, it's, it's, it's no, it's not even like an achievement at this point. Like everyone's just like, why don't we just, let's just talk about it at the end of the season and we can count yeah. them all up and we'll figure it out. Then uh, let's not even get carried away with it right now. Yeah. And there was clearly a memo that was put out by the publicity team of F1, um, probably in concert with Red Bull to like every broadcaster at Zanfort, uh, the week leading up to Zanfort. And then like this past week of just being like, hey, can you guys like stop saying that Max is ruining the sport? Can like, can you start spinning it yeah. as like, we really just have to have reverence and like, we're going to look back on this moment and be like, we were witnessing yeah. greatness. And it's like, I, that's an interesting way of trying to spin it. Uh, Cause it still feels like we are just watching formula one and then also formula max. And like, yep. Formula one is way more enjoyable. Again, you take max out of this race. This is one of the oh. most exciting races Oof. that you could possibly yeah. have. Yeah, Absolutely. Right? Like uh, Checo yeah. coming in first, even like I'm fine with Checo coming in first yep. and then the two Ferraris getting the second and third steps on those podiums. Like I'd be perfectly happy with that. Um, so yeah, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's still fatiguing to watch Max win everything. Uh, not as interesting when he does that. But very interesting when we watch Ferrari succeed. Uh, very interesting when we have a rookie performing as well as he did. Uh, very yep. interesting to watch Alex Albon uh, perform as well as he did. Frustrating to watch Logan Sargent not do as well as he should have. Uh, mm -hmm. I think his seat is now truly looking like it's in jeopardy. I thought that that was a little bit of puff that was happening with people trying to be like silly season right silly season and now it's like oh i think logan Sargent knows that mick schumacher is going to get that seat next year because mick schumacher does deserve it more than logan Sargent. uh i don't think anyone can argue that i do still i do still think that uh logan is got that lethal weapon to diplomatic immunity uh yeah assigned. maybe to him maybe but, but yeah, we'll see also because yeah. i think I, th I think actually i think alex's incredible performance mm -hmm. with williams may end up making williams even more attractive to sponsors i yeah. think uh between between that and james vowels who seems to be putting on a sort of like superstar mm -hmm. performance as as a leader there yeah those things may end up attracting the kind of sponsorship that logan's diplomatic immunity was bringing and mm -hmm. that could actually be the determining factor um yeah. as opposed to like because I, I i do think it is very much just about like williams needs every cent that they can get and so if someone's yes. able to to pull that in but if they can, if they can counterbalance that with, you know, again, Albon, especially if Albon stays with the team, I yeah. think there's also Albon's probably, I think the hottest driver on the market 
right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In terms of other teams, just asking themselves, what would he do in our equipment? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's some, some danger for Williams there, but yeah, yeah. it'd be, be interesting to see how that plays out. And helmet Marco has openly said like Albon had his chance. Like he had his chance at Red Bull. They are not bringing him back. So like that does make him very appetizing as like, Oh, if there's a chance that like, I don't know, maybe in a year or two, we could see him take over for Lewis. Um, We could see him in a year or two, take over for uh, a Lando Norris. If Lando ends up going to Red Bull, right? We could see him take over uh, or maybe even get promoted to a drive at Audi. If like he continues to perform. Uh, And then also you mentioned his name. He is a rock star when it comes to being a team principal and the rumors of like, oh, James Vowles is getting sent to Williams to kind of prepare him to be the team principal at Mercedes. I can absolutely see that now. Like he is proving himself as like a, give me a crap team and I'll make it better. But the, but the ultimate, I mean, the ultimate move is going to be, you know, if in the next three years, if he can really turn around Williams, I mean, that's the, that yeah. is the ultimate team principle move of moves. It's not yeah. jumping into an amazing team and getting a little more out of them. It's taking, you know, picking this thing up at the flea market and then yeah. flipping it for, for serious coin at antiques road show. Uh, uh-huh. you know, that's, that's With- the, that's the, the vowels trajectory that I'm hoping for. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that there's a good chance that we could see that happen too. Um, especially again, he hasn't really been mentioned that much like for it, but I think that if Mick Schumacher gets into that car and then they have Alex Albon on track making that car better and Mick Schumacher in the sim making that car better and then also like yeah. cross-pollinating those two, uh, that that could really bring Williams back into the forefront because they're already nipping at top five finishes with Albon. They've had him almost getting a top five finish the last two races. One at a track he wasn't supposed to do well at and at a track he was supposed to do well at. So like, yeah, I think we may be seeing Williams at the start of their ascendancy. We may see that. Love it. Um, All right, Johnny. Where can the folks find you out there in the world? Track you down. Uh, you can hit me up anytime via my home base of johnnymotion.com. Corey, where can the folks find you? You can find me. I am Burn Corey Burn on all the things and also the F1 Files on Twitter, on TikTok, and then the F1 Files podcast on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's uh, that's a pretty good place to leave it. We've had a couple of short episodes. Now we've got like a full length episode, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk some more. Maybe we'll have some more silly season stuff to discuss next week. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we will be sliding into uh, conspiracy corner uh, as we get closer and closer to uh, Singapore and Japan. Because um, oh boy, I'm sure that there are going to be some people who are trying to show up and show off 
uh, as like potential uh, Honda partners. And by that, I mean, Aston Martin's going to show up big time in Japan. I think um, yep. that's where we may see. It's also, we're Oof. getting into last windows for everyone to make, make their impression uh, on their, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, college submission forms uh, before yeah. the, the season wraps up. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a lot going on over the next couple of weeks. Um, but we will catch up with you the next time, just like you are for sure going to catch up with us the next time on the F1 Files.